Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles? That you're isolated and alone? Like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search Living Fearless Today on Facebook, and uh, then just click to join us. I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth, and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Hello and welcome back, my friend. Today, I have Stephen Scoggins. Stephen, man, he was transformational at a time when I was at an insecure place in my life. Got to be Uber and give him, we were both at an event, gave him a ride to the airport. And Stephen was compassionate, yep, strong. I mean, he told me, you know, this is, this is where I'm at. This is where you're going. And just was that encouraging voice that I needed along my journey. Stephen is an author, speaker, just a huge voice in everything going on. So he's also a podcast host. So if you're not checking out his podcast, please do so. And we'll get to that later. But allow me to introduce you to Stephen. Stephen, how are you doing today, my friend? What's going on, buddy, man? I love hanging out with you. How you been? I'm doing well, my friend. I'm ecstatic to be hanging out with you and being able to, to bring your voice. Cause like oh, I said, thanks, you were man. transformational for me, man. Well, you know what? I, I learned a long time ago that the greatest purpose in life you'll ever have is serving the person you used to be. Mm. Right. And yeah. I think when you and I, you and I were in that car ride together, <clears throat> I was, I would, I had been through some of the things that you were facing in that moment, you know? And, and uh, I think that's where that, that, that piece of compassion, but also boldness of like, okay, I love you. I love you where you're at, but you got to go here next. It's going to hurt. Yeah. But you're going to like it when it's done. But we need that. And I think that's part of what lacks in so many of our lives. And it wasn't like I went, hey, I'm going to go put myself out here and, you know, get the strong talk that I need. But Mm -hmm. you just knew what I needed. Like, I'm assuming you look back at yourself and kind of said, yep, here's my let's give him a swift kick in the butt, but it was a kind (laughs) one. It wasn't berating, you know, like I'm used to that. I grew up with berating conversations. You gave me encouragement and said, you're in a place, take action, move forward from this. Like nobody's stopping you and the excuses you're using aren't benefiting you. I needed that. And you were the, you were the man that didn't couch it. Right. I think that's a gift we so often miss. So thank you, my Dude, friend. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm very, very touched that any time that we spent together impacted your life in a positive direction. It, it, it means the world to me. That's, you know, it's, where I'm at today in, in today's time, you know, I now own 
seven, seven businesses. Yeah, seven businesses total. Four of which are interconnected, interrelated. The other two cross the gamut of thought leadership and authorship and speaking and stuff like that. We one of the businesses does high eight figures in revenue, but you know when we start looking at it. None of that stuff's really mat. That stuff's really important to me anymore, which is crazy because I, you know, <clears throat> the, the whole grind phase of becoming an entrepreneur and, and fighting the battles and starting, you know, from being homeless and all this kind of stuff and like doing all this grinding, you you would think that, you know, that, okay, I'm at the top of the world. And it's like, no, nah, man, no, nah, it's what really matters is when you, when you give somebody that, that ultimate aha moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And the more you look around, the more, the more people you see around you that are in need of that aha moment. In fact, there was a Harris poll done a number of years ago that was published in Time Magazine that said 67% of the total American population was or would consider themselves frustrated, alone, anxiety-ridden, depressed, like self-sabotage. Like they had all these different things that we experience just by being humans on this earth, right? And these different transitions that we go through in and out. And, you know, so many of us don't really know who we are. You know, so I've always said that, you know, the greatest uh, way to kind of get meaning and fulfillment is to only answer three questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And what do I do about it? The problem is, is people are answering, what do I do about it before they actually understand who they are, or why they're here, you know? And as a result, you know, inevitably what happens is, is, is people get on this, 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 this stuckness, this, this rat wheel, if you will. And that's why we, you know, the podcast is called Stuck to Unstoppable, because to me, stuck is nothing more than not making progress, okay, period. Unstoppable is nothing more than always making progress or consistently making progress, you know. And, you know, for me, I think once you've experienced your own transformation of some, you know, at, at, and you're going to go through several levels of that transformation, right? There's this, it's not like you're, you're a cocoon and you become a butterfly and then you get to fly away. It's like you become a cocoon, you're a butterfly, you turn back into a cocoon and you do it all over again. In the faith community, they call that new levels, new devils kind of thing. And, you know, when, when we start looking at this, your heart goes out to people who you know have immense potential, but have yet to discover it yet. You know, and so everything that I'm doing with the balance of my life is, is centered around trying to help people discover the potential that they haven't discovered yet. And maybe that's a God-given gift that God has given me is to be able to see potential in people. And, and when I was in the car with you and you were very gracious to even throw me in the car, took me back to the airport at that particular event, was this immense amount of potential but this particular perspective that, that had the shift. And I knew that if you would make that shift, that you would end up exactly where you're ending up right now and, and well on your journey to even do better than where you, you are currently. And you've already come a tremendous amount of way. And you've been a, you're a highly successful entrepreneur in your own right. And you know, we, we, there's a lot of uh, similarities to our backstory that I know you and I like to talk about. But so, no, I mean, it's, it's my hardest to serve. And God willing, then today, the, the listeners will get something that will give them a nugget that they can believe in. So. I appreciate it, man. And it, and it's funny. It's like that perspective shift can just be almost like when we talk about the elephant that has gotten mm-hmm. trained to be held by a rope because yeah. initially there was a chain there, which was unbreakable. And now it's just like even dental floss, dude, but it's just yeah. that belief there that keeps you immobilized. Yeah. And yeah, it's crazy how many of us allow that mm-hmm. and with a statistic of like 67%. I've got to wonder how much higher it is with what's gone on over the last 18 months with COVID, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because that's amplified our relationships at home, our relationships at work. You know, when I, when I lost jobs before, like mm-hmm. that was an identity crisis. 
Yeah. And unfortunately, that has happened for a lot of people and it's out of their control. Yeah. And so, yeah, more, more important than ever it is to know like what you talked about, where, you know, who you are and mm-hmm. then you're going in the right direction. Cause the last yeah. thing you want to do is go in the wrong direction really yeah. confidently. <laughs> That's right. And which I've done, which I've done that as well. You know, I think it's funny. My very first speaking event that I ever did in public, that wasn't like part of a trade show for the construction industry. Cause one of my businesses is a construction company was this event that I hosted myself. I rented out a small place and I, and I literally invited people from a, from a local ministry called step up ministries, which helps people with recidivism and homelessness and stuff like that. And I gave a presentation and in preparing for one of my very first metaphors slash props was this empty jar. And I poked holes in the empty jar. And then I played a video alongside of it because I think human life is, is very close to a flea's life. Hmm. And people are like, okay, like, all right, now you got me intrigued. Let, tell me a little bit about that. Well, think about it this way. There was a reason why they actually could train, quote unquote, a flea circus. In order to train fleas, all you have to do is put them inside of a container that is further than what they used to. So give you an idea. A flea can jump about 800,000 times its, its, like, its weight or its height, right? So you know, a flea is tiny. It's about a speck, right? But it can jump up to five to six feet, okay, from a, from a one jump, okay? That's, that's a pretty, right? And it will do that. It'll go and come and go as it pleases and all this kind of stuff. And then life begins to put boundaries around the flea and life, like, just like life puts boundaries around us, but they're, they're self-imposed boundaries in many respects. And, and you got to put a lid on and of course you make sure they got some air or whatever. But if you leave them sincerely in that jar overnight and you had a bunch of them in there, you could literally take them out, dump them on the counter, and they will literally be the, conf- the conformation of the, of the uh, jar, right? So. What it takes to train a flea is nothing more than to break its spirit and to teach it its limitations. And I, and I find that too many times we teach ourselves our limitations, right? We, we, we say, well, this event happened, therefore I'm worth this. Or this event happened, therefore my identity is here. This event happened, therefore that's my expectation of possibilities. You know, and it's, you know, I, I just kind of by happenstance and by accident, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Ancestry.com, right? You know, the, the whole thing, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I went down the ancestry.com rabbit trail I, I, you know, for about three months. Like I'd click it on the little leaves that they have every five seconds. And lo and behold, I discovered that in somewhere between four and 500 years, not a single Scoggins, someone bearing my last name, my ancestors, had ever been a person of influence, had ever stewarded wealth, nor had ever had a healthy relationship, like a lot of broken marriages in the, in the, in the thing. Um, and then it dawned on me that at 13 years old, I went out to the trailer park that we were in and, you know, we, I didn't, you know, I've had some highs and lows as a child and I would say a few more lows than highs, but in this particular case, our power had just gotten cut off for, I don't know how many, the thousandth time. Cause we didn't, you know, bill got paid later or whatever. And I left the trailer and I walked down to the local and for some reason I knelt down on the grass. And then I just sent a simple prayer and said, God, if you're real, please let me be the one to break the generational curse. Mm. Now, I did not know, first of all, at that moment that from, you know, my faith is a huge part of who I am now, but in that moment, if there was a God, if God was going to answer those kind of stuff, but you fast forward from 13 years old, all the way for another 30 years, right? And then you look at my life in comparison to my ancestors, and it's very different. Now, 
some of the most difficult things you need to face are often the most painful things you need to face. But as soon as you go through that painful thing, all of a sudden, all you feel is like, oh, gosh, what's the best word? Bliss. Like there's a considerable more amount of joy and contentment. And, and then you go through that phase. And then much like myself, if you're, if you're in that environment where you were working your way through a generational set of belief systems, poverty, divisiveness, abusiveness, any number of things that come up as, as we come up, right? Because we, 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 from the time we're born all the way until the time in which we have ultimate self-awareness are largely being indoctrinated, Right. We're being indoctrinated first by our parents and who, and they were indoctrinated by their parents and their parents were indoctrinated by their parents. And, and then about the time you get ready to go to school, all of a sudden, now you're like, well, maybe I want something different than what people are telling me. Right. And you begin to go on this identity journey. The problem is, is most people don't focus on the identity journey very long. They start and stop, start and stop, start and stop, start. And they basically start up until the point of pain. And they say, oh, it's too much. I'm going to go, I'm going to take a step back. Right. At the end of the day, the people who persevere through that transformational moment get to go a lot further in life, whether it's in relationships or finance or whatever. But it ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we're all searching for purpose. And I think the purpose is always in who we used to be, which means we have to become something more in order to set the stage to help someone who's behind us. You know, and I think that at the end of the day, I think that's why I love even what you're doing now so much is because you have taken your stuff, learned about it, identified it, and done exactly what I'm doing, which is like, everybody needs to know this kind of thing, right? So that's why I love it so much. Exactly. So you have just painted a great picture for where you're at now. And I, and I want to touch back, like you talked about being in the trailer park, being without power can totally relate. Like what were some of the, the hurdles, like the, the, identities that were placed on you or, or that you bought into, what was, what were some of the events and, and, and stuff that led up to that for you? Cause I mean, you talk about being going from homelessness to now like heartfelt mission, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's where you're at. Yeah. What was your childhood and, and then into your teens like? Yeah. You know, what's crazy is I think my childhood is a, is a lot like a lot of childhoods nowadays because there's more now, there's now more broken homes than ever before. Okay. My parents who I love dearly were not around for the early part of my life, at least not, not that I remember. Right. So my mom obviously, you know, remembers me growing up as a toddler or a baby and, you know, and, and feeding me and, you know, but my earliest memories start around three or four years old for myself. And, you know, by that time, all I knew was my mom and my being with my grandmother. I didn't know why. I also didn't know for a number of years, I'm talking decades, when I say numbers, I mean decades, that I tied my identity and self-worth to whether or not those that I loved actually, quote unquote, loved me back, but loved me back in such a way that their presence was part of that love. Not necessarily that their love was that love. Because my, I can, I can tell you, I mean, honestly, even when my parents weren't there, they loved me, right? But they were going through their own stuff. You know, my mother unfortunately battled a lot of emotional abuse and a lot of physical abuse as a child, especially the younger, younger, the teenage years kind of scenario. My father unfortunately grew up in an environment where alcohol was incredibly prevalent. He was an alcoholic for a number of years, and that was generational, right? So you've got these different complexities, and I think the very first shaping moment that I can think of that really began to shape me was actually being with my grandmother at nine years old. I, I'm literally in our kitchen, the small little house that she had. 
maybe a thousand square foot total, like three bedroom house, but it was, you know, in comparison to a lot of the houses nowadays, it was very tiny. And I had a GI Joe in one hand, a transformer in the other. I'm dead serious. I, I was literally, I had snake eyes was kicking Optimus Prime's butt. Right. And, uh, and I was going, you know, and I was just playing around as a kid. And my, and my grandmother calls me over to the table. Sit, she sits down in the black chair sitting at the kitchen table. And she says, Stephen, look at me. And I went to look at her and she started like welling up with tears. And she, and she said, she said, I need you to become helpful. Right. Now, she was trying to obviously talk to a nine-year-old. So for those listening or watching, think about the average nine-year-old or your, or your friend's nine-year-old or your family's nine-year-old. But you know that the mental acuity within a nine-year-old is not an adult mental acuity, right? Our brains are not even fully formed by that time frame. But I did realize that in that moment, she was giving me something where I realized that she needed something that she didn't have someone else to provide. I didn't know at the time that what, what had taken place that day is that she had been diagnosed with cancer. Now, for the listeners out there, cancer research and treatments have come a long way. I still, they're still very, they can be very damaging, but in the, this is the early days of using radiation therapy in both pill form and blood transfusion form and all these different things. And I just remember her, her, her feeling like, to me, looking a little bit scared, if not a lot scared. And also this wonderment of how am I going to take care of these two kids, right? So right after that, she basically told me, I need your help. And then she told she literally helped me drag the black chair that she was sitting in over towards the stove. And she began to teach me how to boil water and make macaroni and cheese and boil hot dogs and make oatmeal and all the, you know, the craft style, the powder style, right? And, you know, and then taught me how to set an alarm clock. So I would get up, you know, fairly early, get my little brother up who was three years younger than me. And we, we would get dressed and then we'd walk to the bus stop. And then, you know, and, and largely, you know, that was life for much of fourth all the way through the, my first end of year, of my fifth grade. The reason I think this, this transformational story is so important is because it's the underlying tone of something in which I believe has now become manifested in a possible positive direction, which is the, the caretaker of others. Okay. The negative side of that is without healthy boundaries, unfortunately, through everything else I went through, people would then use that to try to manipulate me to get me to do what they wanted to do because they knew that I wanted to take care of them, right? And that became an undertone that I don't think people are fully aware of. So while the homelessness was, was incredibly difficult, the, the work lifestyle balance has been correctly. I mean, I'm still, I will be honest. I'm still in a place of, I have to battle workaholism on a consistent basis, largely because I love what I do, but also because I'm so used to doing it for myself because I didn't have anybody to come and rescue me. Right. So I, I had to become outside of my faith. I had to become my rescue. Right. If I, you know, I've taught myself how to build websites. I've taught myself how to launch podcasts. I've taught myself the same. I've taught myself because I got so front. I'm like, I can't find anybody to help me. I can't find anybody to help me, you know? And next thing you know, I'm, I'm doing all these other things. The reason I say all that is because I believe that every human being has one to three things that ultimately shape many of the negative outcomes that they had. Some of those things early in childhood are things that um, are pushed on us, i.e. parents, some of those things, because of the behavior patterns that we're actually witnessing within our parents and, and the things that they say, the things that they do. When I say parents, I mean parental figure. I mean, it doesn't have to be your mom or dad. There was a longing inside of me for my mom and dad. What's wrong with me that my mom and dad don't want to be around or are not around? All of which didn't come up until I was an adult. 
after I'd already make a, made a bunch of stupid decisions and you, you start tracing back the, the, the paper trail or the, the, tr- the crumbs. So when you look at it, I think that the difficult part for me was not necessarily directly tied to homelessness or poverty or all those things, even though they were very prevalent in my early upbringing. It was more concerned, more geared towards discovering what is a person of character, what is trust, what is it really, what are boundaries really, and then what do I, and I do mean I, want for my life? What do I see? Because to the best of our knowledge, we only get one of these, at least that we know of, right? You, we, we might get some do-overs, but that's, that, that's, a, that's a show for a different day and a, a lot higher than my pay grade. You know, but when it comes down to it, most of us don't ask why, or if we do ask why we phrase it in the, in the, in the negative, in that, why me, how come I, how come they never, right? We always phrase it in the negative rather than let's phrase it in the positive, which kind of gets into some technique stuff, but you're phrasing the positive. What do I want? And then you get super clear on why you want it. Why do you want it? Is that intent pure or is that intent? out of insecurities. In other words, do you want a nice house you can show off to your, your family who told you you're always going to be poor, right? Or do you want a nice house because it's, you know, you're, you got a growing family, you need a couple extra bedrooms. You see what I'm saying? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's that question in the middle that most of us don't ask. We just do, right? So who am I, right? This is what I've come to for me. I'm someone who generally can, is genuinely concerned about bringing out the possibilities of somebody else. Okay. Why? Why do I do that? Or why do I want that? Well, I want to do it because I believe I can create a legacy that outlives me through it, just as my mentors did the same for me. Okay. Well, what do I need to do about it? Well, apparently I got to start putting myself out there, even though it was uncomfortable, a lot, very uncomfortable at first, which is kind of funny because <laughs> you were making a comment off air about my, my presentation style when I speak and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I have battled this introversion thing until I became confident in who I am. I'm five foot nothing. So what? Right. I'm a high school dropout. So what? I'm a dyslexic kid. So what? ADHD. So what? Why do those things have to become label makers that I then paste all over my body? What I discovered was, is my identity is actually tied to my impact that I can create, which takes time. T-I-M-E, right? Spending time developing oneself so you can later spend time developing other people. Okay. So one final thought, I know I, and I'll stop my rant. There was this, there was this uh, study that was done not long ago, maybe a year ago. And uh, somebody who and I, I admire and respect is an, and is an evangelist and prophetic voice kind of thing. So mm-hmm. his name's Sean Bowles. And we were, I was sitting in a conference watching a conference he was in and he actually brought up a statistic, pulled it out, started reading off of it. He said that, you know, the whole world is saying, God, please fix this. God, please fix that. God, please fix this. And he said, you'd be surprised that in the, the, the faith community, there's enough money and wealth already in the faith community to solve the vast majority, if not all of the world's current problems. You think about war, treat other people how you want to be treated. There'd be no war. You think about serving other, you think about helping people not be trafficked, treat people how you want to be treated rather than becoming proper. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. at the end of the day, what you discover is, your life has a certain set of adversity and events not to hold you back, but to actually shape you moving forward. So my goal is to get to Steven Scoggins at 13 years old rather than 16 years old. 
And then hopefully the guy that I'm training will get, will try to get to Steven Scoggins at 10 years old rather than 13 years old. And if we'll all focus on creating a legacy that outlives us by doing the hard work first, which is scary, it's unknown, it's uncertain, but it's real. If we'll do those things, then inevitably what happens is, is now you are actually positioned to help someone, right? You get to become the leader you've always wanted to report to. Very much so. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. And I think the interesting thing is, you know, talking about dyslexia, right? Mm -hmm. You can look at it with that victim mindset and go, Mm -hmm. I can't do X, Y, or Z. But having dyslexia also helps us in other ways. Mm -hmm. We're better at spatial awareness. So Mm -hmm. we can do Tetris in packing things. If Mm -hmm. we change our perspective, those things that we have, rather than looking at them as detriments, they can be gifts and yep. give us a different insight that others may not have. But when we're looking at it as like, woe is me, mm-hmm. instead of wow, it it just keeps us in that place, you know, cemented there. Yeah. Not being able to, f- to fulfill who we are, what we're supposed to do, any of that that you've talked about. Well, think about it this way, right? So yeah. the very... Th- the very fact that we beat ourselves up is only tied to the fact that someone else tried to indoctrinate us on what the right way was in the first place. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Studies have shown ADHD, dyslexic, all of that stuff. There are heightened levels of strengths, especially in the paths of entrepreneurship and creativity. So yes, I may have a hard time spelling a word every now and again, or actually putting a word, like I was telling you off air just for fun that, you know, that my team, God bless them, because I will literally read them back a paragraph. It'll actually have, you know, in my mind, it has all the words there. I literally read it back and they'll say, what are you talking about? That word is not there. I'm like, come on, man. Like, yeah, it is. And I'll read it back. I'm like, oh, oh, it's not there. So meanwhile, I'm giving my, my team mad libs to read, right? They get to insert their own words and make it sound like whatever they want, but you know, but I've discovered that, you know what? I am incredibly gifted at vision. I'm incredibly gifted at strategy and I'm incredibly gifted at creative problem solving. Like to me, there's no one way to solve a problem. There are a thousand different ways and I just got to find the one that works for me. And until we step out and change our perspective, we're not going to see those other opportunities. Like the giftings that we already have. I mean, it's like having a gold chest at your feet and, and you're just looking up too high because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I can't look down, you know, and see this. So it's like, how much do we miss on what we already have because we're focused on our, our lack or being different? So how is it like, as you came along, you know, you, you were growing up and you shared in your book about, you know, going to, going to MEPS mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it's like that, that situation, dude, seven businesses now but it's not like, you know, you talked about being homeless, then, you know, you have the story of being at MEPS and, this, and not receiving, you know, what you were wanting at that point in time. Mm-hmm. 
how did you get from the point at MEPS? And I'll let you share on that. I don't want to steal that from you. How did you get from there to, to having your eyes opened, you know, to where you're looking at things differently, where you're taking that step instead of downhill, you're going uphill and you're, you're laying out, who am I, you know, Mm -hmm. what am I made to do? How did you make that transition, man? You know, I I think it's like with every transition, finally, there's enough, there's, there's so much pain that you either surrender to the pain or you take a chance on a possibility. And, you know, for those that don't know the story, essentially I I had trained for six or seven months straight locally with some, with some Navy SEALs and, and Marine frogmen and, you know, I, I felt like the military was going to be my way, you know, I, cause I had grown up in that difficult situation. Like, well, at least they'll feed me. Right. And, you know, in, in the, in, in the late nineties, what was interesting was, is there was a huge enlistment push. So basically if you breathed and you could fog up a mirror or something like that, you could join the military except for me. <laughs> I went to MEPS I literally after all that training, I was in the best physical shape I'd ever been in. Right. I was, you know, shoulders were broad and I was you know, I look like a little mighty mouse because I'm a tiny guy, right? I'm five foot five. And I went there fully anticipating that I was heading out to Michigan to go to start to go start basic. Now, one of the reasons they put me with SEALs and frogmen that have been retired and, and sent down here was because they wanted to get me prepared because it, at least at that time, if you went to boot camp and you wanted to, you had aspirations to become special forces, you did a little extra training. You got up a little earlier, did a little extra things, that, stuff like that. So when you did graduate boot camp, they could send you straight to the various programs like buds and stuff. And I legitimately thought my life was finally heading uphill. Like I, you know, I'm finally going to get out of this place, Ah!" you know, and lo and behold, I get there and the, the Navy guy rock, you know, kind of rock walks over and he basically tells me, calls me by my last name. Hey, Scoggins, come here. And I went to come out of the chair. He said, grab your, grab your bag. Cause I had a small duffel, like a small, small duffel bag. And I went to go walk with him and he basically sits me down kind of away from the group. And he says, just give you a heads up. You're not going to be enlisting today. And at first, you know, I was like, okay, no problem. Like, well, okay. So when am I enlisting? Like, when, when am I going to do this? And he said, well, that's just it. You're, you're, unfortunately you're not, how do you say it? You're not military material or something like that. It was some, some wording like that. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, you have a GED and because you're GED, you have to score higher on the ASVAB than the average person with a high school diploma. I don't know if that's still the case or not, but it was then. And you missed it by a few, you missed it by like one or two questions or a few points. I said, okay, well, I can, I can retake the ASVAB because, well, the next part is, is you've got scoliosis at the top of your neck that they found during the, the physical eval. And unfortunately we think that's going to be causing you problems, especially looking towards, you know, basically, you know, special forces and stuff like that. There's cold water, there's lifting and to be honest, we think that you'll probably have a really hard time walking by the time you hit 40. And I'm like, what in the world? So as you can imagine, my entire rug got tugged out from under me. Now, I'll be transparent and tell you that I've had the rug pulled out from under me probably four times in my life. And in all four times, that was the first one that I remember, remember, remember. And in all four times, what I thought was there to destroy me was actually there to create me. And I didn't know it at the time. I say that because I left MEPS, I barely made it out of the door and I started whimpering like a little babe. I mean, I was weep. When I say weeping, like the tears were so heavy and so, so profoundly there that it was like, I was watching, you ever been in a car and the, and it's raining so hard, the windshield wipers aren't even doing enough good. That's the kind of like whimpering and weeping that I was going through. 
And I've said before, I don't know if it took me an hour or it took me 10 minutes, but I found myself overlooking the, the Capitol Boulevard 440 bridge over top of 440, which is an eight lane highway. <clears throat> and I slipped off my shoes, I hopped on the rail and I was about to take my life. And through a, a certain set of events that would just take me a long time to tell you the, the entirety of the story, I would tell you that broken Nokia 5160 phone that my grandmother gave me, it was a prepaid phone that was in my duffel bag, became my lifeline. And the first four people that I tried to call, I got no answer. Busy signals, the answering machine, you know, and yes, this was when we actually still had answering machines, like you, you know, it wasn't on your phone, right? And then my high school girlfriend's mother answered the phone. She was my last phone call before I was, you know, and I was literally contemplating well, that truck's not big enough. I'm like watching the, 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 you know, the cold air escape my mouth, watching, you know, I can smell diesel fumes. I can still uh, hear the cars honking and all kinds of stuff. Right. Well, in this particular situation, she finally answers the phone and she's like trying to get me. It's like, where are you at? Where are you? I'm coming to get you. Like she instinctively knew something was up instinctively. I didn't tell her what I was trying to do. I was just like, I'm just, I'm just calling to tell you, I love you. And, you know? Thank you so much for being such an important part of my life because she had, growing up, had, had been there to rescue me. I, she even paid for stitches I have in my hand right here on my hand that, that my family couldn't afford to pay for. You know, she took me, got me stitched up and she clothed me and fed me. And, but she, she, said, she said something when I was dating her daughter, when her daughter broke up with me, which totally crushed me because I thought I was going to marry this girl at 16. And uh, she said, when that, when that happened, she goes, well, this too shall pass. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's great and all, but that didn't help me feel better then. And then in this particular situation, she, she basically, after she convinced me, well, I say convinced me, she tried to convince me to tell her where I was and I wouldn't. She then got me to, to agree to calling her by 9 a.m. the next morning, which essentially she was like maybe one of two people, like her and Steve Myrick, my first mentor, probably the only two people that would have actually like kept my word kind of thing. And it was crazy because when she got me to agree that she got me off the bridge, right? She legitimately got, but that was after a war had gone on before, before she picked up the phone of the, of the, everybody's seen the cartoons where there's a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. That's exactly what was happening. This, this, I'll call it devilish voice or evil voice or insecurity voice or fear voice or isolation voice or whatever that thing was yelling at the top of my ear about how worthless I was, how I didn't need to be around all this kind of garbage. And meanwhile, this other thing is like just whispering. He's lying. You're worth it. You're special. Just take a given and give yourself another day. You change your perspective. Like, you know, these little whispering. So when Susan picked up the phone, AKA Mama Wama, when she picked up the phone and she got me to agree to that, she got me off the bridge. But the next thing that she said really surprised me. And she said, this too shall pass, but what comes next will be greater. I didn't understand fully. And even, and even now I don't understand completely fully what that would become. Like that was like prophetic in nature, right? The crazy part was, is she had me like in the, in the, in that moment, I was kind of like, she's like, well, say, you know, say this after me, repeat this after me. She said it again. And I was like, Ooh, this too shall pass. And she like, yelled at me at the top of her lungs. To the phone, say it like you mean it. Like almost like I had just stepped off at the drill sergeant thing. And, it, and I, I'm sure I would look silly, but I, I was yelling at the top of my, top of my lungs, this too shall pass. And what comes next will be greater. And you know what? It gave me a peace in my spirit that I didn't fully understand or wasn't fully aware of. And a few days later, I, I found my faith in a very, very real and very, very dramatic fashion that we don't have time for that story today. I have, I have plenty of stories. <clears throat> um, but at the end of it, about three weeks later, after my, 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 I discovered my faith, began to find my voice, started to find my footing, started to understand the importance of identity, 
I started a business that became the first of the seven businesses that I owned that employs several hundred team members across several states. And ultimately, that business was started out of a second chance I didn't deserve. And then it started with my hands. I pulled material out of the trash pile with my father. My father showed up for the first time in my life and helped me build some stuff over the weekend. Went to work, never looked back. And I just think it's, it's interesting because when we look at our life and we look at working with other people, we look at becoming more of who we want to become, we look at all these different things, it really starts with the simplest of decisions, not the most complex. For some reason, as humans, we like to make everything complex, even though it doesn't have to be complex, right? So here's the simple, here's the simple thing. I'm a big believer that principles govern promises. And if you want to live a specific promise, you want to maybe be, become a, a better leader, husband, father, you want to drive a NASCAR car, like whatever, your, whatever your thing is, right? Then there are guiding principles that take you closer to that, or there are humanistic reactions that take you further away from it, okay? I'm, as such, the principle that I think, the easy, the easy answer for everybody is they have to believe something my good friend Les Brown tells me now. And then he did a keynote for a number of years called the principle is it's possible no matter what you're facing, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you think you're going, a greater day is possible. And if you focus on the greater day and you focus on where you're trying to get to rather than where you've been, not saying there's not value that can be distilled from understanding yourself and your behavior patterns, because you can change those. No one is fixated in who they may think they are right now. No one is. No one is a, an, is a, gosh, an anchor, right? You're not an anchor. You're, you're more of a, a, a drifting boat, right? So turn the stinking motor on, believe it's possible and go after it. Dude, there are so many more stories I would love to pull out of you. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I know you have an amazing event coming up here soon. And I'd love to have you share where can people find out more about it? And where can people also connect with you? Would you be um, open to sharing all that? Yeah, no, I'd love to. Well, first of all, let me, before I say this, before I tell them where to, where to connect with me and about the event and stuff, I would, I would say this. I just want to remind your listeners and your viewers that, again, no matter what they think is impossible, I'm telling you right now, you, there's no, how, do you, how do you argue the fact that a homeless high school dropout, dyslexic kid, ADHD dude, like, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Like, seriously, right? But so going back to your first question, Transform You Live, right? You can go to transformulive.com. You'll see the amazing lineup we've got. This event is different because a lot of events and seminars you go to and conferences you go to, it's all about getting you inspired, but not necessarily walking you through something or getting you inspired, but not meeting you where you are. I intentionally have forbid any speakers from pitching things. This is a straight up value conference. This is all about value. It's kid-friendly. So I'm not going to be like my, my, my buddy Tony and be like, say hi, and then drop an F-bomb right after it, okay? I'm going to, this is, this is about, this is about what could you do with an actual framework that could actually help you amplify every single area of your life? What would it mean to you? What would it mean to you to not wake up and be exhausted? What would it mean to you to not have to have a, a constant battle with your spouse? What would it mean to be to know that your kids admire you? What would it be like to know you're becoming a better leader? Like, what, what would be the cost? You see what I'm saying? Like, this event, Transform You Live, is designed to create and unlock possibilities. 
I find that 90% of the people I come in contact with, the reason they're so stinking unhappy or they're not getting where they want to go is because they're living someone else's life. They're living a life they were never intended to live, but yet they've never had a guy come by and be like, hey, hey, no, 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 over here. Let's, let's this, put, put this down on paper. Okay. All right. Come over here for a minute. Let's, let's like, I, I know you're scared. I'm here with you. Just hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm right here with you. Don't get scared. Okay. All right. Do this. All right. Great job. All right. We're going to do, we're going to do it. Again. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again quicker this time. Right. There's, there's not this, this true mentor mentee, but if you look at history, apprentices became the masters in every instance. Right. The reason people don't even barely know the term life mastery is because there's been no masters teaching the life part. Instead, we go to school and we learn about arithmetic. We learn about English. We learn about all these different things. What we don't learn about is how to take better care of ourselves, how to be, become a better person within a relationship, an organization, how to plot a course towards dreams and ambitions and goals that not just allow that person to feel alive and fulfilled, but also allow that person to make an impact along the way. You see, if you go at life in a selfish modality, then you will never fully see the optimization of that which we're created for. It's the selflessness that ultimately leads towards passion and fulfillment and advancement. Okay? So Transform You Live is designed to answer that question than those problems. That's who it's for. It's for, it's, it's for someone who's legitimately trying to get to another level and who's, who has beat their head against a wall. Doom, doom, doom. I don't know where, like, like I've, been, I've been that person right? It's also for the person who wants a second chance, who's desperately craving for a second chance and, will, and is willing to do whatever it takes if someone would just teach them how. So it's, it, this is a teach you how and hold your hand kind of day. Okay. So no pitching. I don't allow any, any of the other speakers to pitch anything. They're all coming um, out of value add. They all know that they're going to be circulating the building for those for the live attendance because we're only limited. We're limiting the live, but we're also allowing several thousand to, to basically partake on a virtual event. We've got different things there. But so if that sounds like something you or your, your listeners would be interested, your viewers be interested, just go to transformulive.com and check it out. In the meantime, my name is spelled Stephen with a PH, Scoggins, two Gs. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me pretty much anywhere at stephenscoggins.com. So long-winded answer. I can't help myself. I love hanging out with you, dude. We, it's been so long. Well, and I was going to say, it's like you're equipping people how we've been blessed to be the generational change makers, right? Yep. Just like you talked about, you looked in the genealogy, didn't see a pattern crazy enough. Done that myself as well. And, <laughs> and it's like... Okay, wait a minute. But yeah, we can be the change makers. We can be the chain breakers, the stuff that has held us and our and our families back. Mm-hmm. This is what you're doing is you're helping them break free and experience that that changed life. So yeah, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me here today, sharing so openly and just giving that voice of hope and encouragement that where we're at now is definitely not where we're tied to and going forward. Thank you, my friend. Uh, My pleasure, man. Dude, anytime we can hang out, I'm always down for it. Sounds great to me. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. Helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.